Welcome to the Spiritual Boss Podcast with Melanie Dawn, Jen Anderson, and Tanya Ryan. My name is Melanie Dawn, and I will be your co-host today, all on my own, uh, except for I brought with me a very special guest. And this is Whitney, and she goes by Whitney the Slow Bird. She is a facilitator of breath medicine and multifaceted human being. You've also, um, do you have your Reiki? I have my Reiki one and yeah. Yoganija. Yeah. So you have many things on the go and I'll leave it to you to introduce yourself. Cause I know even writing a bio is hard. Recording a bio is even harder. So here it is. Absolutely. Trying to concise a, a multidimensional human being into a couple words is probably one of life's greatest challenges. <clears throat> so yeah, my name is Whitney. I am uh, primarily a breathwork facilitator and healing guide, but like Melanie said, I also um, incorporate energy teachings and uh, yoga nidra and embodiment, all of that into my teachings. It's all one and the same for me as becoming more in connection with our truth and with our body. And um, I guess I'll start with how I got started is in 2019, I was a completely different person. I was desperate for healing. I was desperate for relief. I had been struggling with eating disorders and addiction for 10 years. And I basically said a prayer and I said, please help, like send help. I don't care what it has to be. I'm basically surrendering myself at this point because I had tried um, be hustling my way out of it, trying to work my way out of it. And it was only making things worse. And so shortly afterwards, I experienced my first, bre- my first breathwork session at a festival. And it was, I kind of just walked into it. I was just like, Oh, I can breathe. Like, I don't know about all these other workshops at this festival, but breathing sounds pretty easy. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> and I left just feeling absolutely electrified. Um, And it was pretty much an instantaneous, this is my medicine. This is, this is the answer to my prayers. And through my journey, I've um, quickly become just very, very in tune with breathwork and how it's helped me in my everyday and with my healing journey in so many different ways. And so in um, last year in 2021, I decided that I wanted to become a facilitator. So I enrolled in a program that felt aligned with me and getting to understand where my gifts lay and where it became very vulnerable to share those gifts and very vulnerable, even more so to be working with people. Um, I really started to understand that this is definitely divinely guided to to offer this medicine and then to incorporate other modalities that have uh, that I felt called to. And so now what I'm doing, what's really exciting me right now is doing uh, a multitude of different offerings. I offer in person in the Calgary and Foothills uh, area in person group workshops, especially in collaboration with other healers like sound healing and yoga teachers and things like that. And then I also offer online uh, group classes and one uh, offering that I'm really loving at this time is one-on-one so that we can really go deep together into whatever somebody's going through, whether that's uh, healing anxiety or creating just an overall better relationship with their emotions, or maybe they're healing from a really difficult thing, traumatizing experience that's going on in their life or has gone on in their life, really developing that deeper connection with their body through their breath and 
it might sound really simple, just, you know, what is breath? Like how, how can that be so healing? But it is 100% such a valuable and important resource. You know, we can live, I don't know how long, but maybe a day or two without water, a couple of weeks without food, but you go a couple minutes without oxygen and you're done. So, and it's completely related to how we feel and the health of our nervous system. If we're stressed out, if we're not fully present with our bodies, if we're in our minds, we're going to be doing that shallow breathing that's all in our chest, all that constriction. And um, that's going to be directly related to the quality of our life. If we're living in that short, that short kind of stressed out um, contraction, then that's going to be showing up in how we show up in our daily lives more so in the fear state, more so in staying in survival mode instead of feeling safe to expand, kind of safe to launch into what it is that our heart truly desires. So that's really been my path is to help people understand their breath and how it can help them heal on a deep level and also on a day-to-day level of just whether they're driving or just walking, being more connected to your breath to be more connected with the present moment and what's showing up here and now. Wow. Yeah. So when I look at breath, I always think that breath is a direct line, the, uh, the tool of communication to our nervous system and our nervous system is the state of our health. If we're locked in fight or flight, which most of us are because we aren't present, Uh, locked in fight or flight, like you said, the shallow breath. um, And the body needs our breath to understand how to heal itself. When I was studying body talk a billion years ago, they said that the breath was used as a tool, almost like an x-ray scanner, and it scans from top to bottom. So if you are a shallow breather, the breath only makes it maybe like an inch or two into the surface uh, and through of your body. So everything else goes unknown to the healing system of your body. When you um, said that you were a different person, how when you found breath work, what did that change for you? What were you looking to heal? What, what was that path look like mm-hmm. for you? Absolutely. I can definitely give a little bit of like a before and after. So uh, like I said, I had been dealing with um, eating disorders. And so what that kind of looked like pre-discovering breath work was, um, I really just, I leaned on food heavily for basically managing my emotions. I didn't know how to kind of regulate my emotions and nurture myself when something came up, something stressful. And so instead of having that connection with myself, it was, okay, let me grab some food so that I can get some comfort. Let me grab some food so that I can gain uh, some or relieve myself from boredom or relieve myself from stress and anxiety, anything that was coming up food and then it later becomes substance abuse because food wasn't doing it for me anymore and so and even as a person outside of my vices um like I I talked to people who knew me five or six years ago and I'm a completely different person socially too because not being comfortable in my body and my emotions meant creating connection with people was really really difficult being social with people was uh became a crippling experience there's many times I would leave a social event or a party or anything talking to somebody and I would just be crippled with shame and anxiety and not being comfortable in who I was and so definitely those it was just as you can tell there's a lot of pain and a lot of contraction and just in my experience and through breath and through 
creating um, a bigger window of tolerance of that pain in a breathwork session. In these sessions where I was really giving myself the opportunity to feel everything that was coming up um, and I was being, I was having space held for me by a facilitator. Um, that's how I started my journey a lot was being, having held space for me uh, in a group class or in a one-to-one so that the accountability was there that, okay, you can make it through this. You can cry, you can scream, you can rage, you can laugh, and it's all perfectly safe in this session. And so by developing that window of this is okay to feel this, it naturally made it easier for me in everyday regular life to when something would come up to be like, okay, this isn't this isn't going to hurt me, right? I used to think that stress and anxiety, my brain was thinking, this is going to kill me. This is kind of, that was kind of the reaction in my body is I have to get rid of this. Otherwise this is going to hurt me. And it Mm -hmm. became more of a relationship of this is here to teach me. And uh, that was really the, the biggest shift was allowing my emotions and anything that was coming up to teach me. And like you said, having that nervous system healing to slowly move away from that fight or flight constant being anxious and in fearful state yeah and when the nervous system is in its rest and relaxed state when those emotions come up they are safe to be with there is a level of safety that surrounds it I'm curious and I've had my own path with breath work uh, but I'm curious for you when you are doing your breath work and these emotions come up um, do you see what they're tied to the original wounding that um because for me, uh, I eat to feel love. There is, I want to feel whole. I want to feel how love makes me feel. So if, if I'm in um, a coping mechanism with food myself, it is in that needing to feel whole, uh, wanting to feel held, safe, supported, loved. And then comes the shame <laughs> after um, using food is never uh outside of nourishment has probably always been a coping mechanism. I think for a lot of, a lot of quieter people, introverts, and that's what I was as a child, I would get my hands on anything sugary, anything sweet, and just like absolutely devour it. Um, my mom couldn't keep anything in the house. Like um, it's disgusting, but <laughs> those uh, McCain's like um, canned ice icing, <laughs> I would be all over that. My face would be a chocolate mess. So it started young and I had no idea. So like the layers that come as the emotions, they go so far back. And is that something that you've been able to see and and witness in yourself? And um, I'm curious how that, how that's come up for you. Absolutely. And I can take that so many directions. You, you basically described my teenagers as well as if there was something sweet in the house, I was going to devour it. And that's, when I look back, that's kind of when things in my family started to come up and things where it got really stressful. And um, there was just, uh, it kind of goes back to, there was a lot of people in my family and being the youngest, it was kind of put being put off to the side, not being intentional, but there was a lot going on. And so as the introvert, quiet kind of person, I shrank and dealt with it in my own way and didn't uh, express anything that I was dealing with to my family. And so and that's absolutely where things started is that playing small. And anytime I experience those emotions, even in a breathwork uh, practice now, it's where does this start? What does this remind me of? And it always goes back to 
I don't feel safe to express this. I don't feel like I am worthy of telling somebody Mm -hmm. how I feel. So instead of allowing that natural process, I would revert to in my kind of automatic conditioning is still to revert to let's hide it. Let's suppress it. Let's ignore it. And uh, obviously I learned after 10 years that wasn't working. So I I know now, but I didn't know then, but absolutely. Um, And there's even going further and further back then so many memories come up in a breathwork session as my psyche feels safer to allow me to remember them. And it just connects more and more pieces of, Oh, this is where this came from, or this is why I didn't discover anger until a few years ago (laughs) because that's, that was kind of like a, not a safe emotion, right? Right. Very scary. You don't want to hurt people around you. And um, I definitely went through a period in my healing journey where anger just came up every single time. Mm -hmm. That was like a toddler throwing a fit uh, in a session. And that's, that can be um, very normal for all these kinds of emotions to come up and it doesn't make sense in your current reality Like maybe Mm -hmm. there's nothing for anger. An example, there's nothing to be angry about, but when you feel into it and feel into the energy, like it would really feel like I was three years old throwing a fit, Mm -hmm. trying to get attention because that's something that I didn't do at that time. And so I was giving my body that opportunity to go through that natural process because I felt safe to then. My my mom and I, yesterday was mother's day. My mom and I spent the day together and we're both we're both becoming very uh strong witnesses of our reactions we share very similar traits and she had been activated and said like I know uh when I've always been told that I'm overreacting at that moment but in that moment it doesn't feel like an overreaction there's a very real wound a very real emotion that is dying to be expressed when we don't understand the root of it, it can come through as a spiral. Like I I feel out of control. I feel so strong and I can't deny this, but I don't know where it's coming from. It doesn't match the situation, which Mm -hmm. is where that overreaction stems back to. And even hearing that word overreaction makes women start to play small again and not trust their emotions. They're as a children, we see the world. Um, it's so funny because even though I, I do a lot of study on the brain and, and how we develop our belief systems and limiting beliefs, I still look at kids as carefree. I still am like, oh, yeah, nothing gets those guys. But then I teach adults how their children are so wounded. They have this beautiful gift of looking like nothing is happening on the surface. But if we were to even just at the end of the day, reflect as what our children's eyes saw from their point of view, everything kind of shifts from their very limited point of view, um, a busy day, maybe even um, a friend passing of their parents or a loved one passing, them feeling like, oh, I've got to take care of mom or dad. And it's up to me. I I don't have any space for myself to express their emotions. There's no one to take care of me. And so there's so many of those wounds that can happen. And it could even just be as simple as a parent losing a job. Their, Their whole childhood could have been beautiful. The parents have never done any damage intentionally to their children. But when their parent loses their job and they see these human emotions rolling through their stability because children use their parents to regulate their nervous systems. 
when they see that dysregulated, that turns into like a huge, huge um, inner dialogue for them going forward. And so whenever we feel like we're overreacting to sit with and go, when is the, the first time that I can remember feeling this way? And that's usually what we're reacting to. Our nervous system has sensed, hey, Melanie, there is something real similar about this situation to the last and you need to do this, this and this. And that may mean like lashing out or um, running and hiding, retreating or turning into the nurturer, the martyr. Uh, it shows up in so many different ways. And I, I know for myself, using breath work in the practice of yoga nidra has helped me heal a lot of those pathways. And um, I'm so glad to hear you touch on it. There is one other aspect of this, which is a little bit of a shadow side. And when we find something that works, and also we'll touch on something later about how we we feel like something is more valuable if we pay for it, which our breath was a gift to us from source. Uh, it, it begins our life and it ends our life. It is the most powerful medicine we have throughout life. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But when you you do get into and find like when you said I left there feeling electrified that probably lasted for a little while and then it's like okay I'm starting to heal now I'm going to sabotage myself because we still are playing in the shadow side of ego ego wants to uh, know what's coming it wants to control it wants to um, have a, a steady rhythm of either misery which is Typically what it wants to choose is like, if I'm here, if I'm at this level, then I won't risk being dropped out from somewhere higher, which if you can regulate your nervous system becomes less and less scary. Um, so if you would touch on what that looked like for you, if, if that did happen, if it didn't, I don't believe you're human. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that's one vital piece of information I left out of that story is so, like I said, I left the breathwork class feeling amazing, feeling electrified. And there was about a five minute walk from the workshop to my car. And I remember calling my boyfriend, telling him about how amazing it was. And then as soon as I got in my car, it was just like, oh my God, that was too much. <laughs> this is crazy. You felt so many things, never felt them before, never felt them in that capacity. And it was like, I went a beeline for the convenience store and the and uh, grabbing some alcohol so that wow. I could go back into that safety state so that I could feel like you said, I didn't feel, <laughs> that didn't make me feel any better, but at least I could feel more certain. And okay, this is a feeling I know, feeling yeah. numbed out, feeling miserable is something that I know. And mm -hmm. so definitely there it was not a one and done situation. Absolutely. It's even now, uh, it's still an experience of having these healing practices and having that in tune relationship. And if my intention is not, if it, my intention is just to do it for the sake of doing it, the self self-sabotage is still going to come in. I'll do the practices, kind of check that checkbox. And then whether it's a uh, scrolling of social media or just not being as my highest self, that self-sabotage comes in in many different ways. And it really does come down to the intention of choosing to be okay in this kind of new state instead of falling back into old habits and old patterns. And it's taken, it's definitely a process of kind of creating uh, more and a more of a relationship of it's okay to feel good 
right? Instead of going back to that automatic um, default of, I would rather feel miserable because miserable is something that I can be certain in and I can't be taken down from miserable pretty much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even when you start to grow, it's like, oh, people are going to depend on me. Um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start to depend on me. My integrity will grow. I don't know if I'm ready for that. There's mm-hmm. so much inner dialogue that that happens unconsciously for us. I know in my, uh, I always say that the yogis know their science is only proving what yogis have known for thousands of years. And so if you do study the yogic path, um, it is to practice just to practice. And I had to come back to that teaching because every time, um, you know, a studio shut down and um, I found my practice in a studio. So that was my comfort place. I, I liked a dark studio. I liked a warm studio. I liked a teacher who cued a lot of breath. Like I had so many different criteria layered around my practice instead of it just being a practice, just a practice. So then when the pandemic came, uh, I found myself oh, I'll make this space inside my house and I'll make it just like how I want it. And then I'd stop showing up to that because, oh, I'm missing the community breath. And um, you just have to keep coming back to that yoga wisdom is practice just to practice. And once you show up, the whole world starts to shift. That's... um, when we wake up in the in like in our alpha state, what the downloads that we receive that is direct from source. If you hear, um, if you're someone who does, uh, I just did a 30 day pause of no alcohol. It was a lot longer than that, but um, there was every morning I was waking up because the pandemic kind of got me. I was drinking a lot, like not a lot at night, but drinking consistently. I would have a glass or two uh, every single night, which was really scary to me. My brain was starting to pattern that. And every morning I would receive the guidance. You're not drinking tonight. And then by five o'clock I'll be like, yeah, it's dinner time. It's time to just have that glass of wine. And it became such a rooted habit that I no longer had control or what felt like control. So to undo all of those layers again, I'm having to listen and do the work and move through the discomfort because somewhere along the line during this pandemic, I started to get buried in fear. What if this never changes? What if the world never goes back to normal? What's the point even? Why do you care anymore? So there was a lot of that inner dialogue going on. And that was where I let my ego, my shadow side start to take control. If I had of just listened to spirit and source in the morning, I probably would have never got there because it's going to catch you. But it's that putting it into uh, practice and moving through the discomfort, showing up just to show up instead of everything has to be perfect to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it, the pandemic has been a wild ride for a lot of people. <laughs> Absolutely. It's been um, kind of a, a really great growth path of having a, another challenge and, you know, all these fears being brought up and isolation and everything that's come from mm-hmm. the pandemic and absolutely um really having that opportunity to choose whether to listen or whether to fall back into default, fall back into, you know, no, I feel more safe and comfortable in this, even if safe and comfortable isn't actually safe for our highest involvement and for growth and healing for somewhere that we really want to be. It's not life, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's, we could use the, the pandemic has been a great 
either it's been an accelerator of healing, uh, bringing everything up to the surface, all the wounds coming, or it's been a debilitator. Uh, it's, um, it's kind of not ever, uh, not from what I've seen working in clients, it's one end of the spectrum or the other. There's not really anyone who's just kind of like muddled through and, and continued living their same life. It's been a real eye-opening experience. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you get to that place and you aren't practicing your breath work or you find yourself in self-sabotage, what do you do to come back? Cause I know it's just like a diet. Like I remember my mom, uh, as a child, she was always dieting. There was never like we, we would have this kind of food for a little bit and then that would fall off. And then we'd have this kind of food for a little bit. It was always a constant, like that didn't work for me anymore. She had dropped it. It's hard to go back to the same thing. I'd done it too with, uh, well, again, body dysmorphia. I thought I needed to lose weight. So I did weight watchers. I did excellent at it while my conscious brain was learning it. But once it started to drop into a bit of a subconscious memory, all of my other subconscious memories of sabotage came up and it was no longer interesting to me. I couldn't do it. So what do you, you do to bring yourself back to the practice because if it's healing our body is going to be like hey we're not ready for that let's sabotage here a bit how do you push through and what are some tools you've given your clients to keep coming back because I know for me I'll be working with clients for a long time seeing such amazing results and then poof they just disappear (laughs) and it's from shame they just like literally drop off the the edge of the earth and go back to um the old lifestyle, it's such, uh, it's so intoxicating and so seductive to go back there. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a really fresh memory. This was basically something I went through last week of falling off and falling into a state of no motivation or wanting, really wanting to pursue my desires and my dreams. And what's always brought me back is journaling. Whether or not I want to, I've kind of created a habit. I always have my journal wherever I go. So I see it. It's constantly there. And I will just start writing exactly what I'm feeling. Um, I had this yesterday. It was just, I don't want to, I don't want to be doing this anymore. I don't want to be self-sabotaging. I don't want to be not living to my fullest potential and showing up as who I know I can be. And just by getting those words out onto paper, then I could create that relationship with conscious mind to be like, this is actually not who I want to be. Because when the habits are just happening and I'm just brushing them off and saying, oh, it's okay, we'll get back to it tomorrow. Oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal, kind of brushing it off. And um, the habits and the behavior just become normal, the normal life, normal behavior. And then once I allowed myself to feel those things and write them down on paper. And as I'm writing, then I'm starting to talk about more of what I do want and more of the life that I am creating because Mm. I've created that connection. That's always brought me back. And that's always what I ask clients to do first and foremost, even before we start working together is really sitting down and reflecting what do I want? What is it that's really calling me? And you, if you're not a writer, having uh, more of a recording on a voice note, I find people can be more verbal that way. Either way, being able to express it and then being able to reflect on that expression so that they can hear it and really experience them themselves in a conscious way 
uh, expressing what it is that they want and what they do not want. And that really creates an awareness of how the self-sabotage is taking away what they do want. And then um, an exercise that I typically work through is, so how is, how does it feel not to be doing what you do want? And that's typically, you know, it's, it doesn't feel good to know that you want something, know that you want to be consistent with whatever, whatever it is you're working through, and then to be denying yourself of that experience. And so mm-hmm. it basically becomes like, that's acknowledging that that is a choice and that we can make a different choice too. Wow. I love that. How does it feel to be doing what you don't want? Mm-hmm. That's a motivator. I'm just trying to remember you'd said something in there, but it might be lost. Um, I love the journaling too, because it's asking, especially if you just write stream of consciousness journaling, you're, you're co-creating that journaling experience. And I think a lot of our sabotage and, and the wounding that we operate from comes from the place of feeling alone. And if we can use our journal to connect to source, mm. we, we find that uh, craving that we're looking for, that feeling of, uh, again, wholeness. That's the whole thing. The, the whole thing <laughs> that I look for in life is what makes me feel whole, what makes me feel complete. If there is something that I'm doing that um, takes me out of alignment with who I want to be and how I want to show up. That's making me feel like I'm a little bit broken and my pieces are scattered. Another uh, aspect of breath work that I think people tend to overlook breath work is because it's not a pill. It's not a quick fix. Uh, you know, you don't have to pay for breath. Of course, you have to pay someone for their expertise and their facilitation. But once you learn all those tools, you can go do this anywhere. And, and of course, they can look it up. It is always good to work with a guide and a mentor and understand it. But um, working in this kind of a container with a mentor, a facilitator to inspire you and to grow you, those are transformations that can't be matched. I don't think unless you are really just a deep, deep diving soul, the the whole uh, point of the human condition is to reflect back to each other, who we are. I can't remember where, what I was watching, but it said, I couldn't be me if it wasn't for you, like for without me seeing myself through you. So having a mentor and a facilitator during this is beautiful. But breath is overlooked. It's not. It's not ever um, in the modern day stream of society uh, told as a story of our most expensive medicine, and it is. It comes at the cost of your life. So if you aren't, um, if you aren't breathing well, if you if you are overlooking your breath, it's a fast track to poor physical health, poor mental health, poor emotional health. Like our breath is truly our most expensive medicine and Mm -hmm. to be honoring it in that way. But if we're not paying for it, how do we get people past that? Like, how do we, how do we move people past that in order for something to be valuable to me, I must pay for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's really quite the contrast. Like you said, it's um, we we're technically breathing all day, but it's really your breath is your life. The quality of your breath is the quality of your life. And if you're li- like I said earlier, if you're living in that shallow breath, the your expansive life is not really able to take place. And um, 
Absolutely. People, once I feel like once you get the experience and it kind of clicks for you, then it becomes more of something that, um, that you understand, like you kind of get it, but I absolutely kind of creating that accountability with somebody in some kind of container typically is how I see people, um, really creating that con- consistent practice, uh, whether that's, you know, committing to listening to a meditation that has breathwork in it or something like that for a certain period of time, because there's going to come to a point where you feel good and you're just going to drop off because it's not, it's like, it's like, Oh, I've, I've figured out this thing. I don't need to do it anymore. And that's that safety mind really just coming back in to draw you back into the self-sabotage and the certainty and everything that, you know, because feeling good. And (laughs) it's a, it's a, it's not something that we're familiar with, especially if we're starting in that consistent fight or flight response. Uh, I don't know exactly how other than, inviting people into the experience as much as possible and typically what I do see is once the experience has happened within the first couple times then they oh I get it I finally get how important the breath is you know how they might lie on the floor for whatever a period of time and just do some breath work and just noticing from start to end how different their state of feeling and state of being has changed And nothing has happened apart from the fact that they've been intentional about their breath. And that's that's really, it's an experiential thing. And it's probably why it's, it can be a bit tricky trying to get people to understand without having them experience it. Yeah. And breath can bring you into the present moment like nothing else can. Breathing is always in the present moment. And it's very, very few times throughout our day that our mind is present with our body. Very Mm -hmm. few. The only time the mind is present with the body is when it's connected to breath because the mind can't be in the now. It's always Mm -hmm. thinking about the future and always thinking about the past. So bringing it into that intention, that is Mm -hmm. gorgeous. Well, I was, um, I think that that was it. I had had a thought and then I think you answered it because it just disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully we can get some people on the breathing. Oh, this is what it was. I was very curious. Um, As a breather myself, I always notice how people breathing and even myself, when I do these podcast interviews, I can tell at the very beginning how I'm nervous. Um, It's not something I do every day. And I'm shallow breathing and taking in those large, sharp inhales. Do you notice that you are paying attention to how others are breathing all the time now? Absolutely. It's kind of like an annoying part of my personality now, now, especially when it comes to mouth and nose breathing. Um, Nose breathing is really good for your health and mouth breathing can really lead to a lot of health issues. And I find myself catching myself with my partner or with my friends, um, especially if that's been something habitual, just, Hey, could you, could you breathe through your nose? You would feel a lot better. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> like it, it's helpful, but it's also like being that annoying little voice knowing that. And I notice a lot in the gym as well. Uh, I've always been into fitness. And so I've kind of washed my awareness of being aware of people's breathing. Uh, Mm -hmm. If I take my earbuds out and all I can hear is people taking in deep breaths or shallow breaths just in their chest and then holding it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that like they're doing work, they're applying force to their body, but they're not circulating that energy. Um, 
Yeah, it's absolutely. It's, it's one of those funny things that I was not expecting as I became more aware of, uh, of my breath and of my body and then like reflecting that back to other people mm-hmm. and, and then being more aware of when I am doing those things, yeah. when I am mouth breathing, especially when I'm working out and how I get tired really quick, um, just, just through those little shifts. And so absolutely it's a, it's something I wasn't expecting, but it's definitely there. Yeah. It's, I, I always notice that too. I'm a bit of a creep myself and <laughs> I'm, I'm watching all the time. I actually through breath, uh, I was diagnosed with asthma as an adult and um, I got this book called, geez, I think it's called breathe through your nose or close your mouth, (laughs) close Mm -hmm. your mouth is the book that it is. And I hadn't realized that it wasn't, for me, it was uh, like the physiological response was rooted in how I was breathing and how I was breathing was tied to my nervous system. So if we're going on a hike, I would be breathing in my upper chest, breathing rapidly. That would cue my nervous system. Holy crap, there's something going on. We need to respond. And then that full uh, asthma event would occur. If I keep my nose closed and focus on a longer exhale, I don't have any of those experiences ever. So I may not go as fast when I'm hiking now, but I I go a lot smoother. Um, It's definitely changed and shifted how I I'm conscious of it, but I I do have a reverse breathing pattern that I'm trying to, I keep focusing on trying to do. But another thing that I noticed too, is that if a person is a short, shallow breather, a really fast breather, they're likely to be an oversharer. Do you Mm -hmm. notice that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have that experience all the time. I'm I love to be the listener, the introvert in, in a conversation. And when I find somebody who is in that kind of state where they love to overshare. And so as I'm watching them, I'm listening to their breath and it's getting out as much words as possible, quick sip, getting out as much much words as possible, quick sip. And it's almost like if there's any space, um, you can kind of see their minds start. There's fear of, Oh no, how do I fill this space? So I'll just say something more. They have the gift of gab. And um, definitely Which is a coping mechanism. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is. It's really, if I can, if I can fill this space, then I'm not uncomfortable right. uh, and spaces, you know, that's awkward silence kind of thing. And it's, it really creates more intimacy when that is allowed, but it does create, it, you have to uh, offer yourself the opportunity to be a little bit uncomfortable to allow you both people just to experience what was just said uh, maybe the listener so that they can really reflect on what was just said instead of having that you know and that habit of thinking what you're going to say while the other person is speaking really develop that space is to allow for that natural response to come through but it absolutely uh, it can be a bit threatening yeah mm-hmm. I find oversharing is absolutely a state of control I need mm-hmm. to control what is said next. I, I don't want to give anyone a chance to reply. What if what I'm saying is not worthy? I don't know if I can handle hearing that. So I'll just control the whole conversation. Of yeah, literally, this is, was the story of my life. <laughs> I still <laughs> Well, it was so wonderful to have you, Whitney. Thank you so much. Is there something new that you're offering or how can we get in touch? How can the viewers, um, you know, reach out to you or follow you? Where are you at? 
Uh, I feel like the easiest way to keep in touch with all of my offerings, because I do have a handful is just on Instagram. That's where I like to hang out at Whitney, the slow bird, uh, slow as in slowing down. And uh, I have in person coming up in Calgary in the foothills area. Uh, and then I also teach online classes. You can find those on my page. And what I'm really loving like I said earlier, is developing that connection one-to-one and helping people create a, a regular practice in, uh, instead of having it a, a one-and-done situation. Uh, what I've experienced is practicing just to practice, practicing when you don't feel like it, practicing when heavy things are coming up, practicing when you feel really good. And so having making it more of a habitual thing of this happens because I'm committing to it, not because it's a prescription or the magic bullet that I need right now to save me. Right. So yeah, really having, um, that's really what's been lighting me up lately. And so I've been focusing more on the one-to-ones and the in-person group uh, because after the past couple of years, uh, I know a lot of people are really craving that in-person connection as well. Yeah, they are. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Spiritual Boss. We so appreciate you listening. Please click the subscribe button. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and leave us a positive review so that more people can find us. We welcome emails, input, and comments. You can email us at spiritualbosspodcast at gmail.com and find us on Instagram at the Spiritual Boss Podcast. Peace in, peace out.